Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, welcome back. Bailey Hancock here. I have one of my favorite friends and fellow boss ladies on the show today, Hillary Hartling. And I'm super excited for Hillary because she comes with like two great pieces of advice. She's got her own personal journey of, you know, actually, I don't even know what she went to school for. We're going to find that out. But she ended up working at Disney, which is one of those jobs that everybody dreams about, I think and then ended up going out on her own to run her own personal branding um, agency. And so I'm really excited to hear her story about that and how she actually landed that job at Disney and what made her leave. And then on the flip side, the personal branding stuff, I think can be very helpful for people as they're starting to position themselves in the industry you know, of their choosing. If they're trying to get a new job in a new space, knowing how to tell your story is super, super important. So we should hopefully get some great advice on either ends, but welcome to the party, Hillary. Thank you. It's so fun to be here, Bailey. I'm so excited you're doing a podcast. Me too. <laughs> I feel like I've found my calling. Granted, it pays me zero dollars yet, but I honestly don't care. It's so much fun. I get to ask all the nosy questions of all of my friends and learn really fun facts. Like I have no idea what you went to school for. I just realized that. So start us at the beginning. Yeah, and it's so funny, as as I was thinking about your questions a little bit in advance of this, I actually forgot to go back that far. Like most times these days, people are asking me like how I jumped from Disney to having my own business, but I do, I definitely do have a beginning story too. So I do, and we forget about, you're right, our our attention spans are so short anymore that it's like, so what what have you been up to for the last three years? And it's like, oh my God, three years, that's like a a snap in time compared to my whole story. So yeah. what did you want to be when you grew up? Let's go all the way back. Yeah. You know what's funny is when I was really little, I would say a teacher like my mom, because she was a high school teacher. Um, but then I quickly learned that teachers didn't make any money. <laughs> and, and I always thought teachers should make the most money. because I, I was still like, think that. Little kid's brain, and actually this holds up as an adult, teachers teach you everything. People would not know anything without teachers. It's so true. But they should make the most money in the world. Anyways. Who do we need to talk to about this? <laughs> I don't, not our president. <laughs> Anyways, uh, off on a sidetrack. So I, if you ask my mom what I would say when I was young, I wanted to be a CEO or an entrepreneur. Mm. And I didn't know what either meant at the time. Where did you think, where do you think you picked that up? Uh, gosh, I, I honestly, probably somehow in school, um, but I always wanted to make money. It was my deciding factor on not becoming a teacher, literally. And so when I went to college, I decided to go to business school. So I majored in, I got a bachelor's in business administration with a focus in marketing because I thought marketing was the most fun. It I was, mean, it kind of is. It was the fun part of all, of all of the business stuff. It was like coming up with all the creative ideas and how to sell things to people and all of that. But what was funny was I graduated from college and I thought, and I went to University of Hawaii and I never wanted to stay there because I thought there wasn't any serious work for me in Hawaii. Just my own brain. I had to go to the mainland. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went to Seattle and I got this job as an assistant media planner at an advertising agency. And that was my serious job. Now, if I had been working with clients that I really enjoyed, I probably would have stayed. Sure. But there's the client part. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also 
okay. So there was, I was in print media being an assistant media planner and my clients were Boeing commercial airplane group and Silicon graphics international. Ooh, sexy. <laughs> so I was basically, my job was to place insertion orders for print magazines and like send the order forms and track it and make sure they ran well. Like that was my first job. And, but, but not my, super exciting. I mean, the magazines I was placing ads in were like Aviation Week and Space Technology Magazine. It's like nothing mm -hmm. I would ever read. So I was right. so bored like that. And so I didn't know, I felt stuck then and I was there for like a year. And then I decided, you know what? Ding, ding, ding. I can market or advertise anything. What do I love? And so I made a list. I literally made a list of everything that I love and movies were always at the top. Mm. Always, always, always. And I never even thought that I could work in the movie business. Didn't even enter my mind until I made the list. And then suddenly you're like, wait a minute, they have marketing people in the industry. Like they have to, they have to sell the movies. What do they do? They have people, they have, and I didn't know anything about the studio system, how it worked that like, you know, at the time Miramax was part of Disney, Columbia and Tricer were part of Sony. No idea how any of it worked at all. So, and I'd been looking at a, um, a graduate program in Boston that I decided to go to because they had direct ties into Hollywood with a lot of their internships. In Boston, interesting. Yeah, so I went to Emerson College in Boston and got- you went really home. far from home. I did, it was nice, it was nice to be East Coast. It was actually supposed to be an international program based in Brussels, and they closed that the year I went, and they put it back to Boston. Oh. So, bummer, it was supposed to be my international, like, fun, but mm -hmm. Boston was amazing and I went to New York all the time and, you know, made amazing friends. So it was really, really good, but it was a master's in global marketing, communication and advertising. Mm -hmm. And I knew, and if you asked anybody in my graduate program, what I wanted to do, everyone knew because I knew that. That's so smart. I was just having this conversation about how crucial it is to tell the people around you what you want to be doing, not who you are today, but who you want to become so that they can help you along the way. Yeah. I was the movie girl. In fact, my <laughs> apartment in Boston, one entire wall was plastered with movie posters. I was oh, literally gosh. surrounding myself with my dream. And the only book I read about the movie industry was Work in Progress by Michael Eisner. Mm. And I didn't intend to work at Disney specifically. I just wanted to work at one of the major motion picture companies, but I read the entire history of Disney. You manifested the shit out of this. <laughs> That's amazing. So you get your degree. What yeah. happened next? I did an internship. I got an internship at DreamWorks here in LA. And it was just a summer internship. But through the internship, met people at Disney. And people sent my resume over there like that. And then I ended up getting a job like two months after my internship ended at DreamWorks. And literally stayed at Disney for 15 years. And grew from being a coordinator in this department that was actually ultimately dissolved to running my own version of that department as a vice president. So I actually created my dream job at Disney, literally. That's out of control. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think it's funny when you think about making a move from that, I had literally been thinking about that dream and that job and what I wanted to do with that for so long. I hadn't thought beyond it. And what I learned in leaving Disney was like, you don't just get one dream. Yes. That is so important for everybody to remember. You do not just get to have one dream. No, you get so many dreams and it's up to you how many you get. And I just hadn't thought beyond like, what's my next dream? Because I was, what other people do too, is they, when you tell them to dream big, they, they dream within their current circumstance. Yeah. 
And you have to get outside of the bubble in order to dream bigger and to think about like anything literally as possible. Like if you told me while I was at Disney that I would be building my own business, I'd have been like, oh my God, that sounds like so much work. I don't, I don't think I want to do, like even probably when I left Disney, I was like, that doesn't sound appealing to me. But the more and more that I, anyways, we can go into that and I can tell you more of that. But it, yeah, I, I literally manifested my dream job at Disney and it took me a long time to figure out how to move away from it because I loved it. So what, what would make you move away from it if you did love it? What was that turning point? Well, so a couple of things happened. I think um, I had reached my, the level I was going to be able to attain in terms of, I was going to go above VP in my current position at Disney. So after that, I had reached that final pinnacle and I was like, well, what's next? And I was like, kind of happy to sit and stay put for a minute. Mm-hmm. And I think- Which you- that's super important, by the way, because people, I think especially super ambitious people feel uncomfortable in moments of comfort. And you think that, oh, well, if I'm not hustling or if I'm not constantly striving for the next thing, then I'm, I'm you know, not progressing. And I think there's a lot of beauty in finding happiness in- the zone where you are and really like not coasting, but kind of just appreciating the stability and the calm and knowing that I'm, I'm to one of my finish lines. Like I have reached one of my finish lines. I'm going to hang out by the finish line and like enjoy the hell out of this and have a beer (laughs) and not worry so much about like racing the next race right off the bat. I think that's a great place to be. So that's good that you gave yourself that time. Yeah, I was enjoying the moment a bit and I was kind of enjoying the perks a little bit, you know, since I had reached that level and um, designing the team I wanted and how I wanted to do things and, you know, enjoying the movies that were coming through because I've worked on not only global brands, but sub brands that became franchises for an entire company that are brands now throughout the world. I mean, the Toy Story franchise, the Cars franchise, the Pirates franchise, the Princess franchise, like all of those things were things that I got to work on. It felt so fun. That's so exciting. Yeah. And I got to be in meetings and I totally appreciated it with people like um, Steve Jobs and Bob Iger. You know, it's, yeah, it's like those moments where you like literally pinch me because how did I get here? I was like in Hawaii. You're just a little girl from Hawaii. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's a super important piece too. Like it really does not matter where you come from or, you know, what your upbringing is. Yes, everybody has different circumstances, but if you work hard and you set your mind to something and you bust your ass, yeah. like you will get yourself to a place where then luck, hopefully, and the people around you can help bump you up to that next place that you need to be. Totally. Totally. That's amazing. What was your favorite project you ever worked on? Do you have one? I know that's like choosing a kid. (laughs) You know, I got to say one of the favorites, it was near the beginning of my career. And so I was like a major doer. I was just like in the weeds on everything, but I also felt like very in control of a lot of things, um, which I like, obviously. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't? Um, But one that was really meaningful is I got to work on the Jerry Bruckheimer, Michael Bay film, Pearl Harbor. Mm. And the reason that was so special was because my grandpa was at Pearl Harbor. I grew up in Hawaii. Um, My grandpa actually escaped through a porthole in one of the ships that capsized. All his friends went down. Like it was this whole story. I did a book report about it in first grade and interviewed my grandpa. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was this amazing thing. But to, to do all the work leading up to it and then the press junket and the world premiere was on a working aircraft carrier sitting on Pearl Harbor. And we built a a theater stadium seating on the top deck and like, 
and all like the you chills. I love that. Were there, and so you would look to the right, and literally there's the Arizona Memorial, and it was just it was amazing. And at the last minute, I was working, working, working. At the last minute, I got the premiere invite person she goes Hillary I have two extra tickets invite your parents right now oh and so they got God. to my mom got to run from high school my dad got to run from the air force base next door to Pearl Harbor where he worked where all the big wigs from base were there and then my dad <laughs> it was just so a really cool amazing moment because it was like personal life and work kind of coming together and also showing how content and stories can create such inspiration and motivation and meaning and and that's why I loved movies. They inspired me all the time. Like you got that feeling of like when the lights go down in the theater, yeah. I'm like all in. <laughs> I'm so excited for, I don't care what it is. I'm in and I love it. And it's so fun to do that. That's awesome. I mean, it's rare that you get one of those moments in your careers where those two worlds do collide in a really beautiful, meaningful way. Like I had chills the whole time you were saying that. Cause it's like, oh my God, how special must that have been for you and your parents and like for it to come full circle and you go home, you know, for this thing that you helped work on. That's so cool. It was That's really, really cool. And yeah, and that was, that was just the beginning. Wow. The very beginning of my career It's probably two years into my 15 year career at Disney. So I've just, I've done a lot of cool things that I 100% appreciate. And I've worked on movies that I absolutely love. And a lot of my favorites are, it's funny, you wouldn't probably even guess some of them, are the inspirational true sports stories. Mm. It's like all the true stories because you get to meet the people who actually did it. Yeah. Plus work on the movie and see what it meant to them. But now like share that story with a whole new generation. It's like, it's the coolest thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you were kind of living your dream. You were living your dream and 15 years, it's, that's an eternity in a career anymore, right? Like, I mean, outside of our parents, I don't know many people who have been at a job for longer than 10 years and even that's a long time. So what, what throughout those 15 years kept you engaged and kept you loving it and kept you excited? Cause I know you're somebody that needs to be challenged and, you know, wants to learn. So were you able to get that time and time again there? Or did you have to make that for yourself? Yeah, no, I, it was always challenging, whether it was how to market a new movie, because they weren't always all winners. It's, it was the smaller movies that were, you worked even harder on actually most of the time, but it was also the people, you know, new people coming in and out. My job specifically was very, um, internal to Disney. It wasn't a job that was at a lot of the other studios. Um, at least half of my job, which was leveraging the entire Walt Disney Company assets, and we called it Synergy. Hmm. Um, and it was also just the pressure of knowing we had moved at one point from doing a lot of movies in a slate, like 20 movies a year, to like we were down to 11 or 12. Hmm. But the 11 or 12 had to make it. They were all huge, what we call tentpole films, that have huge goals and huge budgets, and um, we had to make them work. And so that was a lot of pressure. And, and most studios might have three at the most per year tentpole movies. And so every single one being a tentpole, you work on them twice as hard and twice as long for every movie. And so it was a lot of pressure. And when you would ask, there were different brand leaders taking care of like the Marvel brand and the Pixar brand and the Disney brand at Disney. And they didn't always talk to each other. So because I worked across the movies, every baby was the biggest priority, right? Yeah. And so 
no one could actually tell me which one was more important for me or my team to work on. So I had to like obviously do that myself, but it was hard because they were all important for different reasons. Totally. So it sounds like you had the same base job, but it changed constantly. Yeah. And there was a time, I want to say 2009, it was 2009, where they got rid of our chairman of 40 years. And the new person who came in, I actually knew him. He came over from Disney Channel. He did a clean sweep and got rid of the entire senior level. Whoa. And so I was like without a boss for like six months. It was a crazy, like, let's just do this kind of time. But because of that, with all the newness coming in, I felt like I had to prove myself every day after I felt like I had been there for so long. So it was like I had a new job constantly because there were so many new people coming in from other studios or other companies that didn't understand necessarily the Disney does it differently than any other studio. Mm. And so it's just a different beast to tackle. And you not only have to think of marketing in the individual movie, you have to think of the brand, which is where my brand expertise comes from. I would end up being the Disney brand police and people would come to me and say like, Hillary, can we do this? <laughs> you know, I didn't make myself the, they were just like, can we do this? <laughs> You're the defective brand police. <laughs> I think part of it was because I worked with Disney Channel and I had to be very aware of what was okay for kids and families. Ah. And so they would always come to me and ask that. So it was really interesting, but yes, it was like this constant barrage of, and so at a certain point, what happened was I got tired of proving myself all the time. Yeah, no kidding. That's exhausting. <laughs> It was exhausting and I got, and what I did is I did my job so well that the new people coming in didn't realize my job was hard. Yeah. Oh, that is something that happens to the most ambitious among us is you make it look easy. Yeah. So people are like, either they think you're not working hard or you have tons of time for other projects that aren't your job yeah. or yeah, then you get all of this extra work and it's like, well, damn, maybe I need to make it look a little harder. <laughs> yeah. And so what happened over time is that I felt like what I was contributing wasn't valued as much anymore. And on top of that, I think because I'd gotten to that certain level I, and I was sitting still, the sitting still quickly turns into feeling stuck. Oh, yeah. So because of that, what actually ended up happening, it was, it's funny, it's a good New Year's story, actually, because it was New Year's Day 2015, and I decided... I was like, okay, I'm going to make a move. And I, it's enough like just sitting there and like being, starting to be unhappy because I didn't want to be unhappy in a dream job. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> wasn't my desire. So like any good person who's decided to make a big life change, what's my life purpose? What's my next big move? Just light I went, questions. I went to Google. <laughs> Not the company, the website. <laughs> the website. So I Googled, I don't remember what I typed in even, but what ended up popping up was this questionnaire, and the first question on it was, what would you do if you were 10 times bolder? Oh. Yeah, and you, I never, you often see the what would you do if money wasn't an issue, but like that doesn't really help you. Because then no. people are like, I don't know, I guess I'd live on a beach forever. And that isn't going to make you bolder money. is very different. Way different. Yeah, because that's like, oh, I'm fearless. Yes. I what still need we, to make money. I still need to eat. <laughs> but what would I do if I, you know, had a, yeah. a lot of chutzpah? Yeah. Although it's so funny. I didn't even have to think about it because I knew my answer immediately. And it yeah. was, I'm going to take, I'm going to quit my job at Disney. I'm not going to have another job. I'm going to take a whole year off. Whoa. I'm going to go to workshops. I'm going to go to conferences. I'm going to travel. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to learn new things. I'm going to start writing again. I'm going to hang out with friends and family. And then I'm going to figure out 
the next step or the next move that is going to get me excited for my second career. So you actually, after Disney, had two big moves then. You had the screw it, I'm cutting loose and I'm going to not put pressure on myself to figure out what's next and just enjoy my life. And then you had the big move once you figured that out. So before we move on to that, I want to know the specifics. So obviously you didn't just quit your job, you know, have no money lined up, have no plan. Like clearly you put thought into this. You had to have saved. Walk us through that process. Well, here's the funny part. As, as that New Year's Day happened, um, I started making plans, right? I was like, okay, I'm deciding I'm going to make plans. I'm updating my resume. I'm doing all these things. Um, I hadn't quit yet. Two weeks after I had answered the 10 times bolder question, I was actually driving off the Disney studio lot, um, having been laid off in an organizational restructure. Shut up. With a severance package that paid me for one year. Stop it immediately. Manifesting. Holy shit. And I think because I had literally just decided that, I wasn't shocked or upset by it. I was actually relieved and excited about it. You had to have felt so incredibly tapped in and grateful and like a little bit. So something kind of similar happened to me. I had decided to move to LA in May of 2010 because a tarot card reader told me to. And (laughs) sometimes you just need a reason, you know, it doesn't always have to be a good one. Um, And I had decided I'm going to move to LA and be a TV show host because screw it, life's too short, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, I'm like getting my MBA at the time and working at a job that I had been at for at that point, almost three years Mm -hmm. and loved, but I felt that it was time to do something different. And the biggest challenge that I had as the months wore on, because this was May and I was planning to leave at the end of the year. Come like September, October, I had lined up an apartment in LA. I had like been saving some money. I frankly used a lot of the student loan money I had and stuck that in savings because screw it, I'm going to have to pay it back anyway. (laughs) And my, my last piece of the puzzle was, I don't know how I'm going to quit this job. Like Mm -hmm. I love these people. They've been good to me. I've also, they paid for my grad school. And so Mm -hmm. I knew I was going to owe them like $15,000 by quitting but I was still willing to take that, you know, big leap. I was like, whatever, it's just money. It'll, it'll come and it'll go. And October 1st was my three-year anniversary and it was a Wednesday. And October 3rd, Friday, I get called in at the end of the day to the HR person's office and I see my VP of my department and my boss there and I go, uh-oh, what'd I do? And the HR person goes, so we're letting you go. And I go, oh, where? I literally <laughs> said... Oh, where? (laughs) Because I had always been their like golden child that like went to conferences on behalf of the company and was like the community liaison. And she goes, no, like go. And I just, I think I said, okay, like a hundred times in a different manner. I was like, oh, okay. 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 (laughs) And like, just my brain couldn't process it. And she said, so, and I, she said, oh, well, your attention to detail hasn't been as good lately and you're late sometimes. And I, in my head, none of this was making sense. And I was like, yeah, sure, sure. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And she goes, but so you can, you can either quit and then, you know, you'll owe us for your student loan or your, you know, grad school and this will be your last day or we can lay you off and we'll give you seven weeks severance pay. You won't owe us for your grad school and we'll give you a hell of a recommendation whenever you want it. Well, 
what's the choice? I was like, again, my brain is exploding, mind you. And I'm like, is this a trick? I'm so confused right now at this point. And I left the office that day. And of course my ego was smashed because you can't help but feel crushed when like, you're like, but I was a good employee. And yeah, to be fair, this was also the time when I was going through a divorce. And I think I probably wasn't handling it well, but Hey, 25 is a weird year, you guys. Um, and so I, it was like a for real quarter life crisis. Yeah. And so I left work that day and it occurred to me, I'm like, Oh my God, I was intending to put in my one month. I was going to give a one month notice because I just felt bad. And my last paycheck was going to be the literal last paycheck that I would get now with this severance package. And I didn't have to owe them $15,000. And I got an extra seven weeks of like bonus free time with my friends before I moved across the country from Florida. So yeah, I cried a little cry at that happy hour that night. And of course I went straight to happy hour. But then the next day I was like, whoa, what a freaking gift this was. And so- I I seriously think when you decide- The universe is right there to support you in whatever it is. And that's one thing about then ultimately having your own business is like, you have to go all in and decide that's what you're doing for it to work too. You kind of do. And damn it, it's scary because you and I have both done that now too. And it's like, you don't know what's going to be on the other side. You have no idea if your projections and your assumptions are correct, but you won't ever know unless you actually just jump. And that doesn't have to be starting your own business. That's like changing career paths or switching companies or anything. There is a sense of like preparation that you have to do and you have to be really strategic with it. And then you kind of got to let go of the wheel a little bit and know that like, all right, things are going to land how they'll land. I'm going to be alive either way. Yeah. You're going to be okay either way. And you're just trying it out. You got to see what sticks and what works and, and also what gets you excited. Right? Yeah, which is the most important. The podcast now, I feel like it's totally in your zone of genius. This is so you, Bailey. It just feels really good. Yeah, so I think it's so fun that this is what you're doing next, and it's going to lead to some really cool things. I know it. Fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. So I cannot believe you got a year of severance. That still gives me chills. That like makes me want to cry. So you (laughs) had that incredible year where you literally didn't even have to like save up a ton of money and make plans. It was just handed to you in this beautiful university wrapping paper. (laughs) So how did you spend that year? I don't even know if I'd know what to do with myself for a year off. I mean, here's the thing. If I looked back now to what I have been working on to build my business, I probably would have started this a little bit earlier, but I just didn't know yet that this is what I was going to do. And so my big plan was to definitely travel. Like I spent a month in Australia, New Zealand, and I had a lot of friends over there and my sister was over there. Um, I went to, gosh, a blog gets workshop where I learned how to blog, how to create a website that resonates, how to use Photoshop. I didn't know. I still um, don't know. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm like elementary at it, but I can like really get by. Um, I renovated and re-landscaped my entire front and backyard, which plans were already in motion, but I was like, oh, well, let's just do it. <laughs> I was looking into foster to adoption during that year. I ended up becoming a certified high performance coach with Brendan Burchard that year. Um, and that actually is what led me to my next thing. Cause I was like, Oh, I love this high performance coaching so much. I thought that's my next thing. I'm just going to do that. Mm. And then a bunch of my friends and like colleagues were like, well, why are you not going to leverage all the credibility and the talent and the skills and experience you've had with marketing over these years. I was like, well, that's true. So the first clients I ever had were other coaches because they needed marketing help. They didn't know how to 
creative oh, to market their business. And what ended up happening is it morphed into branding because it was a personal business. It was their name. It was them. It was their service. And so it morphed into branding. So I do both personal branding and brand strategy for, for businesses. Um, oh my gosh, my dog is barking. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. Is it, is it a he or she? It's Cody. It's a he. Cody. He's excited. He, he's just backing you up. That's his dog praise hand emoji. So funny. Um, yeah. And so what's funny is I actually think I felt bad that I wasn't, I, I didn't continue using my high performance coaching. I don't even offer it anymore. Because when I first like launched my business, I did the number one mistake that most new newbies make and that I like coach people not to do now is like I offered all the things. Yeah. You can't I'm, help it. I'm a marketing consultant. I can do branding. I am a high performance coach and literally no, no one knew what to come to me for. Yep. I didn't have like a stance. Uh, this is what I do. This is who it's for. You went in the miscellaneous bin in people's brains. Totally. I say that over and over. Like if you, it's not that people, well, no, it's people are lazy and there's only so much room in our brains for other people's, you know, stuff. And yeah. if you're meeting somebody and they quickly ask you like, oh, what do you do? And you don't have a clear answer. Their brain goes, does not compute. And they stick you in the miscellaneous bin and there you sit. And by the way, if you can't answer that to someone, then you don't know your brand. Oh, absolutely. My help. <laughs> yes, which we will get into because everybody could use your help. People yeah. in, you know, day jobs and entrepreneurs yeah. alike and companies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to go back before we move on because I think what you did originally in the beginning was very smart. And that was taking your old world and the world you were wanting to join and finding that like layer in between the two. So your marketing expertise for high performance coaches, which is what you thought you wanted to get into, yeah. that is an element that I think is brilliant and enough people don't think to do. I always say like, take your skills and your experience, pack it up and take it to the new playground or industry. Like yeah. take your, you know, if, if we want to do like a playground analogy, take your ball that you've been playing with for years and then go to a new playground that you're excited about and being like, okay, well I'm new here, but I have this ball, like I can play. And that's exactly what you did, which is such a good way to pivot. It's so true. And it's funny because even though I started with here's marketing, here's branding, here's coaching, branding is a form of marketing for sure. And it leads directly into your marketing. Um, but I think one of my purposes for doing the coaching and doing it with someone who I consider like a huge expert at it uh, was me learning the skills of it, me learning how to listen better, mm. to look underneath what people are saying and find and pull out the good stuff, which is what I do with branding. So I have this very unique approach to branding that does combine marketing and high performance coaching. I just don't tell people that it, it is branding. Well, they don't need to know. And that's the other thing. People often forget that, oh, well, I'm not using my degree or I switched industries and I'm no longer doing what I spent 15 years doing. So it was a waste. And it's like, no, no, that adds up to the story of you. That is, all of these elements are part of you, Inc. You know, like you as a whole person, whether you're actively in your day-to-day -day new career, like using these skills or not, they're yeah. still in the back of your brain and they help, you know, you, you decide like how to go about your current job. So they're always there informing your decisions. They, they are. And I actually think they're, that's what makes you unique. That's what makes you you and makes you offer something that nobody else offers, right? You come with this toolbox that is your unique toolbox that only you can do it that way. And that's what I feel like I do with branding. 
So what made you then go from originally offering way too many things and being the jack of all trades and the master of none to honing in on the thing that you have landed on now? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. That's the first thing is that's what people were coming to me for. Ah, so ask people what they want (laughs) and what they're willing to pay you for. What an idea. (laughs) And that's the thing I enjoyed doing most. Well, there you go. That combination is, is your sweet spot that you really do want to get to. Um, so it, it did start with, um, I call it both personal branding and just brand strategy because some people have a completely separate brand company that is not them. And so I do work with people like that too, but then also personal branding, I've done that as well. And I've also done that, even though I don't advertise this part, I've done that on the corporate side now too. So I have leveraged my network and I've done a couple of personal branding workshops for like HGTV, where it's their senior team. And what's interesting about this, talk about all the things coming back together, is my last workshop I did for them in October in Chicago was their entire senior sales staff from around the country. And... Discovery Networks is buying Scripps Networks, which HGTV is a part of. Most of the people in the room had no idea if in the next few months they would have a job or not. Wow. So it was this, it became this really amazing day where they felt comfortable in a very uncomfortable environment. Like I got them to see how they could manage a transition Mm. by really honing in on their personal brand and what they wanted to create in their own life, not just thinking about it from this company perspective, because so many of them have been there for more than 15 years. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And like your personal journey and experience probably came in very handy that day. (laughs) Yeah. And, And I wasn't even thinking we would go there, but it ended up becoming this really amazing, powerful day. And I got so many notes from people afterwards saying like, I have a better direction now and I may call you in the future to do some more, but right now I'm like really good and I understand what I need to do because that is the hardest thing I think for people is the uncertainty. Oh, completely. People are terrified of change and the unknown and it's almost never as bad as you imagine it to be. Never. Never. Usually a lot. So it's like if you choose to react a different way, you can. Right. It's about bending and not breaking when things come up that you weren't expecting, which spoiler alert, that will happen for your whole damn life. (laughs) So get used to it. Uh, That's amazing. So that's a perfect segue into personal branding for somebody that, you know, I think a lot of the listeners to the, for the show are people who aren't necessarily entrepreneurs, but Mm -hmm. who intend to keep moving throughout their career, working for companies, but you know, want to be in the driver's seat with making those changes, whether it's switching roles after however many years or trading industries entirely, or maybe taking a little, you know, side trip to entrepreneurship. Um, So how can you leverage all of your different paths and your history and your different interests and house them under one personal brand? Is there a way to do that? Or do you need to pick something? That's a question I get asked a lot. In terms of a career move? In terms of telling your career story. Hmm. I think your story is your story. Um, If you want to leave out a section of it because it's not relevant to what you're doing next, it's okay. But if it's additive, I think it's fine to leave in there because that is what makes you unique. Um, I actually think of, you know, when I was in corporate, it's like this inner bubble, right? When you're in it, you can't look out. And when you're out, it's harder to pop in. And I do think of... um, your career, almost like a relationship 
where sometimes you yourself can get lost in mm -hmm. a company's goals and you can forget to create your own. Totally. That has happened to me multiple times. Me too, because you get caught up and it's, it's work, 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 work. And you're part of the machine. You're part of this bigger system that just keeps moving. And they feel like if you step off the wheel, you're going to get smashed underneath. Yes. <laughs> For lack of a better. <laughs> Completely <right>? true. <laughs> yeah. And so I think to rem the first thing I would say is to remember to continue to create your own personal goals mm -hmm. and never stop learning. Because I feel like I remember when I was like a coordinator, a manager and doing all the things I was like, my God, my boss doesn't even know how to send a package. What is that? Like, how do you not know that? And like, when I became the boss, like, you just don't have time. And so, and then right. the, the systems change. And then I was like, oh my God, I became that boss. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. It does. And so anyways, what I'm trying to say is I think personal branding is all about figuring out how to keep your, your personal brand identity within the company you're working for. Mm -hmm. So you need to see how you yourself, your mission in life is aligned with where you're working. And sometimes you might come up with the action, the answer that that's not your place. Mm -hmm. And then you actually have a plan of action. You can start searching for what is a better place. And maybe that was just the stepping stone and that's okay. Oh, and that's such an important realization. And the answer could end up being, this isn't aligned with me anymore. It was five years ago, yes. it was even two years ago, but you guys, we change fast these days. And because we have so much access to knowledge and information about the other options in the world, I think we get career FOMO a lot quicker than people used to where it's like, well, that sounds like a cool job. I want to do that job. And yeah. so it's so important to be checking in with yourself on the regular, like at least every six months. I like to check in quarterly because yeah. I mean, things move fast when you work for yourself. I think it's significantly faster than when you work for a company. But agree. Well, and if you think about all the check-ins you do in a corporate environment, you're doing quarterly reviews, you're doing yeah. annual goals, you're doing, you need to do the same for yourself. Yeah, um, and if you've already got a structure like that, just add in your personal stuff to it too. Mm -hmm. I think the best, the best and happiest like jobs are generally ones where there are a good amount of check-ins with somebody that's got your back, you know, whether it's your boss or somebody in HR or a colleague who you guys can, you know, work together in tandem to make sure that those personal goals that you're setting are aligned with what you're also doing at work. And if they're not, can you change paths a little bit, even under the same company umbrella? Or is it time to start looking elsewhere, which is okay. Yeah. And I will say too, a great check-in is if you're looking around and you don't feel like there is a person who has your back, that's also a red flag and a good yeah. sign that that's not your place. Because I will tell you, Anytime I have gotten elevated in my career and moved forward, it's because I've had someone in my corner. I'm so glad you said that. Talk about the people that have been in your corner because many times people love to say, yeah, I ended up here and then I landed at this job and this other situation fell into my lap. And it's like, that's doing such a disservice to A, your hard work, mm -hmm. B, the people that you're surrounding yourself with who have your back and who are supporting you along the way and yeah. opening those doors for you. Yeah. You know, I've had so many wonderful bosses and for me, and this is different for everybody. The best boss for me is someone who works with me as a partner, mm -hmm. because if you're an authority figure or looking at me like micromanaging in any way that like just rubs me the wrong way. And yeah. so, um, like one of my last best bosses, um, 
the first thing in our first meeting that I think she said, and I knew her for years and then I got put under her, but I always respected her. The first thing she said to me, she's like, you know what? I feel like I have so much to learn from you. Ooh, and I think, news. yeah, she's very, I mean, she's a great leader. <laughs> Way to get your team, like get your team on your team right away. Flattery yeah. gets you everywhere, guys. It does. And then, and I'm like, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> I could teach her some things. This is great. And then the next thing she said is, you know, the only thing I can really teach you is how to be a great executive. Mm -hmm. So let's do that. Right. Because it was another way to, that basically told me she's in my corner and she wanted me to keep rising up. And she That's was incredible. Do that. So she, that was just one example. I have so many great examples. I've had great, um, actually, have I only had one female boss? Anyways, I've had a lot of male bosses and they were always in my corner. You know, it's, it, there's a different, um, interaction I think when it's male versus female too mm -hmm. right it's a different kind of thing men are like yeah do the details go mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want to worry about that I want to single focus on this thing over here <laughs> but women can like keep up with you and really um really have well it depends on the woman because some women are um not happy about other women who are ambitious yeah, there's a big, there's a whole thing, the whole queen bee thing that does happen, I think, especially with older women in traditional industries where they've, they feel a little bit um, territorial about yeah. where they've been because they had to work so much harder, you know, than I think yeah. women nowadays have had to. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's still a struggle, y'all, but. <laughs> still a struggle, but, but yeah, and I think that um, the person that I always needed to be either a mentor or a boss is the person who is a little bit more evolved, who has been there, done that, and done it successfully and can show me that path. And I think that's true in any field, in any job, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're working at a corporation, it's like you should always, always have that person that has your back who has been there before you. So do you have a mentor now or somebody that's kind of got your back in this new entrepreneurial life? You know what? I feel like I have several people who have my back only because I intentionally created a community mm -hmm. of women who were going through the same thing. And I have people that I look up to who have definitely been there. It's basically the coaches that I hire, mm, right? Nice. Those are my new mentors. Those are my new bosses, so to speak. Those are the ones that I stay accountable to because that helps really challenge me and push me forward. And I think any good coach always has a coach. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think there's a big piece about accountability there. And this mm -hmm. is something I harp on, too, is having an accountability buddy or being yeah. part of a goal group or having a coach having somebody or some people that are co-creating your future with you, or at least like cheering you on from the sidelines and keeping you honest, yeah. because especially when you're an entrepreneur, um, it's very easy to just get wrapped up in your work and you lose track of time sometimes and your goals kind of go to the wayside because there's always something to be doing. But when you've got people on your team or a group of people, I'm in a goal accountability group and mm -hmm. you know, we email each other every Monday with our goals for the week and we recap the week prior. How did we do? Yada, yada. We motivate each other. And because the weeks fly by those weekly check-ins are pivotal for me getting absolutely anything done. So yeah. whatever it is for you, have somebody that to hold you accountable and just kind of poke you a little bit and be like, Hey, remember that time you said you wanted to do that thing? Where are you with that? Yeah, no, it's so good. I have, so I always have a coach and I have a mastermind group. That's, it's just a group of women. We do it for free with each other. 
and we meet once a month. And that is like really, really amazing too. So we had, we just celebrated and had a holiday party right before Christmas. And I, I did something, um, I call it a brand time capsule. And so we're now creating that for our mastermind group where we're going to actually plan like where our businesses are going to be at the end of 2018, fold them up, put them away and like open them up together at our next holiday party. That's so funny. My group did that too. We met in November and Mm -hmm. we recapped 2017 until that point. Mm -hmm. And I made everybody go through the process of pretending that we were in November of 2018 and we went around the table and recapped how our 2018 went and we wrote it all out so that we can look at it next year. But it was like, I think everybody cried at one point. Everybody (laughs) got goosebumps. It was, it was so powerful because we were able to verbalize what would Mm -hmm. make us really happy one year from today in our careers and personal life. And then we were able to reverse engineer it. Then we were able to be like, okay, well, yeah, if this is going to happen in reality, I need to do XXX to be able to get there, you know, and like to go back to the whole one year career, make big moves with small steps, which is the whole point of this podcast. That's all it is. It's like, if you're going to make big moves or any move of any size, you have to figure out the game plan to get there. And that's why clarity is my favorite word because Mm -hmm. it all comes back to that. Like once you, if you have clarity in your vision, if you have clarity in your goals, if you have clarity, you just, you have a roadmap and you know how to get there. And clarity is one of those elusive things too. I spent the majority of 2017, the first half of it, just desperately seeking clarity because Mm -hmm. I went out on my own in October of 2016 Mm -hmm. and same as you, I was like, well, I could do this and I could do this and I could do this. Who wants to pay me? I'll do anything. It'll be great. (laughs) And I didn't get a single client because nobody knew what the hell I was. And, you know, and it's when you can't figure out like who are your competitors or who are similar companies to you because there isn't one because you do too many random ass things, then that's a good indicator. But I spent the first like six months just desperately seeking clarity. And it wasn't until I was like, you know what? Fine, clarity. Screw you. Maybe you're never going to come. I'm just going to start with what I know. And that's what happened. I started just down one path because I was like, I'll just start here and figure it out. And of course, immediately after doing that, clarity comes because it's like, hey, I've been here the whole time. You just were too busy yelling for me to show up to notice that I was standing next to you. So clarity is not very far off. If you're feeling a little scattered and unsure of what to do next, just start somewhere. Well, I feel like clarity often comes with momentum. Yeah. You you do. You take a step and then you take a step. And before you know it, you're running in the right direction. You're like, oh, here we go. This is where we are. Yeah. So it's, it's really a cool thing, but I think it's really interesting how people get to clarity in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I needed to stop yelling to hear it, (laughs) which (laughs) is, you just have to sit and listen. Yeah. That's, you know, the second half of 2017 for me was a lot about listening and being quiet and paying attention to the little voice and in your gut and in the back of your mind and just finding moments of stillness where you could just stop begging for answers and just listen. And it's yeah. been a total game changer. Yeah. So. When you just ask and then you listen. Weird, right? Weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, no, I mean, one of the most interesting things to me when starting a business was it wasn't the work. It was the mindset that needed to shift. It usually. was. <laughs> yeah. And I just didn't even, you know, I've always been one of those hard workers And I've always, and I feel like sometimes what I would do to a disservice because it would exert more energy than I needed to, I would would will things or force things 
to happen in the direction I wanted as opposed to letting them flow. And I think one thing that has shifted for me in coming out of the corporate world and into my own world of starting my own business is I've actually become a more feminine leader where I am more open, more collaborative, ready to sit still and listen, ready to say I need help. And those weren't things I would actively do before. And, and it's, it's a different way of working and it's actually more energizing to work that way. Yeah. And it feels a lot better. It does. When you're pushing all the time, I would, I would inevitably like for a good 10 years of my life, I would push, push, push. And about every three months I would have a day where I literally was exhausted and couldn't go to work. I would just need to lay in bed all day. And I'll never forget this. I was doing my second internship. It was my final semester of college. And it was a full-time internship at a convention center. And I was working 40 hour weeks unpaid. And they had me take intern off my name tag because they were giving me actual clients and they didn't want the clients to feel slighted by having an intern. And so I was, I was just running myself into the ground because in my mind, I was going to get a job at this convention center after college because that's what happened. Unfortunately, this was spring of 2007. So it was terrible timing for the economy. Um, Yeah, true. What are you going to do? But I had one of those exhaustion days and I called in sick and I was laying on my couch and I was watching Oprah, which I never got to watch because I was always working. And that was the day that the, the author of The Secret was on the show. And I was like, well, this is bullshit. And immediately went to the bookstore and read it. And I was like, this is bullshit. I went home and in the back of my mind, I started just applying principles of just kind of putting out there what you want to happen and thinking positively and, you know, like training wheels manifestation, right? And my life changed from that point on. So I won't be too mad at the exhaustion day because it literally like probably changed my my perspective on the world. However, I don't usually let that happen anymore because I know better. Now I'm like, no, man, just don't work crazy hours. Like it will be here tomorrow. Like you're not, I'm not solving world hunger. I'm not doing, you know, life-saving surgery. So it's going to be okay. It is. And, and you can decide to sit still when you want to, as opposed to waiting for a day of exhaustion. Yeah. Your body shouldn't have to be like, Hey, excuse me. I totally understand that though. I would go like, you know how you go, go, go totally strong in the weekend. You get to the weekend. You just can't move off the couch. Yeah. And then what's that life? There is no life balance in that situation. Just work and then forced life, you know, balance. And that's, that's not the way you go about it. Well, and it's funny because I don't even think of it as um, work-life balance anymore. I think of like, what is your life's work supposed to be? Because it is true when you enjoy what you do, it starts to not feel like work and it starts to feel more like fun, even though there's a lot of work that goes into what you do, oh, Absolutely, you know, but you need to find the thing that makes you really excited. And that's one of my like big move GPS things, right? Like, how do I feel? Yes. That will tell you the way. It always will. And if you're starting to feel anxious about a particular part of your career or your job or whatever it is, let that be a good like yellow light, right? Like, okay, well, wait, what is this anxiousness telling me? What is, I guess the word's anxiety. What's this anxiety (laughs) telling me? um, And can I do something about it? I always tell people like, you know, what can you turn the volume up on in your career that you love? And what can you turn the volume down on that isn't feeling so good? And just keep doing those tiny tweaks every day. And before you know it, there's far less things that suck and way more things that feel really good. And that's how you end up happy. 
You know, it's not an end goal. It's every day. I think the one thing you also have to be able to discern between is what is something that feels not good at all, like it's anxiety, or what is just a fear of a new challenge. Because sometimes you head in the direction of what's causing you a little bit of like, ah, and that becomes the best thing you ever did. Yeah, that's a tough one. That is a really tough one because I think like discomfort in a zone where you're growing feels sometimes pretty similar to discomfort in a situation that you need to change. It can. And that's why you have to be really, I think you just have to be really self-aware. Yeah. That's my big goal for next year is to understand the difference between being afraid of like moving in a direction that I don't know or don't, you know, have all the answers to versus being tapped into what is no longer working that just needs to be tweaked and, you know, being able to tell the difference. And that's a tough one because they do kind of come in similar packages. Yeah. Cause you don't want to just automatically throw something in the garbage because no. there's like a little bit of like, Oh gosh, you yeah. know, you gotta see what, how can you change it to make it better first? Yeah. Can you just tweak it a little bit and, and find the happy? Yeah. One thing I'm working on right now for 2018 is really like, how do I simplify? Because, you know, it can actually come in different packages where I started offering all the things. Now I've kind of gotten to like, now am I offering too many things in branding? Mm. So it's sort of like, okay, how do I simplify what I'm offering? You're honing, honing, honing in even more. Yeah, because my, I think my theme for next year is going to be impact. Like how do I create the biggest impact with the least amount of things. Mm, right? I like that. So that. The things that I'm doing are the most impactful things to move your business forward or to create your brand. It's not like, oh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's like, no, this is the one thing you need to do. That sounds fantastic. And I can't wait personally to take advantage of all of your amazing <laughs> offers. I'm going to be taking Hillary's workshop. By the time this airs, it will have already happened, but I'll be sure to link to all of Hillary's great offerings and her social profiles and website and all of that good stuff in the show notes so that you guys can hopefully take advantage of what she's got to offer too. Well, Hillary, this was so great. I got goosebumps more times than I have so far in any podcast. So I appreciate that. I'm picking up what you're putting down, girl. I love your vibe. (laughs) Thank you, Bailey. I love you. And I'm so excited to be on here with you. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks so much. See you next time.